You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. All right, we are here with another edition of Global Trade This Week. You'll notice that myself and my co-host Pete Mento both have collared shirts on today. So this one's all business and we're bringing the heat, as I say. So uh, it's great. Pete, uh, I want to... Um, get caught up on you. We've both been doing a little bit of traveling this week. So I want to start with, you're doing a hell of a lot more traveling than I am. So um, give us the rundown, man. Where, where have you been and where does this podcast find you? Well, I, uh, I finished up my Mardi Gras last week and immediately went to Greenville, South Carolina, where I spoke for the South Carolina Manufacturing Alliance, I believe it's called. And um, amazing. Uh, it's, it's an amazing event every year. And, uh, Lots of EV producers, lots of folks in that space. And uh-huh. as you can imagine, a lot of the discussions are about that. And then um, I was down in D.C. on Monday. I was in Dallas yesterday to give a seminar. It went very well. And uh, today I'm back in D.C. Next week, Indiana, Indiana baby. All wow. over Indiana. I'm going to Fort Wayne. I'm going to uh, uh, going to Elk, Elkhart, going to Indianapolis. Going down to South Bend, I'm going to be all over the state next week. So, wow. uh, yeah, man, it's that never stops. Good. Never stops. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if you signed up for that whenever you came on with DSV, but here you are, man. You're making waves and impacting people all over the country. Got to go where the business is, just like you, Doug. You know, yeah. you don't have a choice, pal. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just came back yesterday from a conference in Nashville. We were just talking off air about. Uh, about Nashville. I'd never been there, driven through it, but never spent any time there. Pretty, pretty cool. And I visited, it was the Society of Chemical Manufacturers and Affiliates. And obviously I fit in the affiliates category. And um, I would say I've never been in one room with so many chemical engineers in my entire life. And I was a little out of my league with table talk conversation, but you know what? All the people were great. I had a wonderful experience. Um, and, uh, I highly recommend that show if you're in that industry, uh, to check it out or even look at uh, a membership. So had a great time and good to be back. I'm actually in Denver in my three by three cubicle. <laughs> well, you told me you went and got hot chicken. I'm a little jealous. Yeah. 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 Hattie B's H A T T I E B's is in boy. And, um, as I was saying, you don't play around. The place was packed, line out the door. And when you come up to the register to order, you better have your act together because at least the one I went to, they're not playing around. Hey, we got people behind you. We got to cook some chicken. Let's giddy up. So uh, it was it was a fun experience and it was really good food. No chicken for you. <laughs> no, exactly. No soup, no chicken. So awesome. Yeah. All right, man. With collared shirts, we got to sit up straight and get this show started. So um, yes. there, there you go. I'll let you kick it off. Topic Thanks. number so one. I woke, I woke up this morning in DC and uh, my, my close friend Alex had sent me the new press release from the White House that the executive order has come down that the United States is going to do a sweeping review of the entire American supply chain. And they're doing it for a number of reasons. The first, to understand the sustainability of our, our current supply chain, whether or not it is a sustainable model. The second is for resiliency, to try to determine in the next 100 days what the, where the United States is too dependent on its supply chain uh, in certain key areas, which include pharmaceutical, energy production, 
the batteries for electric vehicles, the military, and the list goes on and on. And then there's a, a real deep look on cyber and whether or not we're prepared in our supply chain to manage cyber. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting here, again, just flabbergasted, Doug. I can't believe that something I've wanted so bad is happening. But because I'm used to working with the government, I'm, I'm reminding myself to not get too excited that they tend to let me down. But just, just the fact that they're trying and that they're really putting some horsepower into this, there's going to be a lot of people from private industry who are involved in this analysis, which is going to mean that folks like us, well, not, not you and I, but people like us from this industry. And um, I just think it's wonderful that they're taking that next step to really take a look at it. Now, because we're always forward looking, Doug, I think that this is the first in a number of long steps. I don't think that we're going to see off the basis of just this 100 day review, a lot of big changes, but I think we'll be able to collectively as a nation and as an industry begin to identify places where more money, more time, more focus should be put. And then it's really up to Congress. It's up to the department of transportation to take those next steps. And that's when I get, that's when I get a little less, um, I don't know. I don't really have a lot of trust in their ability to execute on the plan. But well, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna be that guy this time, Doug. Professor positive, and I'm just happy that they're doing it. Nice. Yeah. Good. Good point. I. I. The only thing here, Pete, is I hope they come out with a 400 page uh, synopsis <laughs> because that's super important. Everybody <laughs> reads a 400 page synopsis. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, hey, here, here's the 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 two things. Is one, you and I, in about five minutes to talk about the infrastructure and the choke points, right? We've talked about that and how it affects things. The cyber piece of it, I think is cool. And the fact that they're bringing in professionals from the industry is cool. I think that'll give a, a perspective. So kudos for those two things. Keep that, you know, how about a like nine page memorandum that can kind of hammer it out, but uh, we'll see. So what, what do you think the over under is on the number of pages that document's going to be? Oh, I bet it's over 400, Doug. Uh, <laughs> and then someone like at the American Enterprise Institute or Heritage Foundation will give us eight bullet points. Yes. <laughs> like, a, and like, a, like a couple of PowerPoint slides. We're like, oh, cool. Great. We get it. Thanks. <laughs> That's what it's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I cut you off. Go ahead. No, I, I completely agree with you, Doug, that there's going to be a lot of uh, a great stuff that probably doesn't make the report that people like you and I would insist are, is in it. But that the, um, you know, from a government perspective, they're just not going to include it. But uh, yeah, oh, definitely over 400, Doug. Definitely over 400. All right. I'll, I'll go slightly under 400. So we'll, whenever that thing comes out, we'll have to, <clears throat> we'll have to reference back to the, uh, the February 22nd show and see, see who got that one right. So. Hell yeah, buddy. Um, All right. What you got, Doug? All right. Well, this potentially could be in the report, Pete, because, um, I saw something pop up, uh, was it last week, about how Phoenix, Arizona is quickly becoming a hotbed for supply chain and logistics, right? Over the years, it seems like it's L.A. County and the L.A. Long Beach area, then things move to the Inland Empire, then things are moving to like Redlands, California, where it's 60 miles away. Well, now we've jumped over the, 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 uh, the desert there in California and landed in the desert in Arizona. And um, it's it's growing. There's a lot of money that's being put in it. And I'm going to pull up some statistics here. That's why I'm looking around. Um, here's the deal. There's interest there. Cost, space, and cheap labor, right? Shocker, um, specifically with building 
warehouses and things of that nature, um, that is uh, a big draw, right? We've seen and talked about the warehouse situation in Southern California in general. And you're just pushing so far out. It's like, why don't we just get the heck out of the state of California? So uh, cost space, cheap labor. Um, here's one thing I had not thought of that was called out is that once you get to Phoenix, it's a two-day transit to Dallas. And once you get to Dallas, you're in one of the biggest hubs in the entire country. You got the I-35 corridor going up and down, north and south, um, and you can uh, push things out to the um, the southeast pretty pretty easily. So you take a LA to Dallas, which is three days in a truck, from Phoenix to Dallas, which is two days. So there's value in that. Um, and then the one piece is that um, they're building a rail right from LA into Phoenix, the, the, I believe it's the UP that's doing that, which that's kind of cool. And you'll get some trucks off the road, but you know, it's like 350 miles from LA to Phoenix, something like that. And that just to me seems a little short of a distance to really have an impact, right? By the time you spend a day to get it on the rail, a day to get access to it off the rail, you know, and then a day to get there, you got three days, man, I need my stuff. Right. So, um, it, it'll be interesting, but um, I like the fact that um, money, space, and labor dictate where supply chains go. Uh, I'm sure they'll reference that in the 400-page document, uh, the <laughs> supply, supply chain analysis, uh, which you and I just covered in about 45 seconds here. But anyway, it, it caught me. The one thing about Phoenix is it's so freaking hot, you know, that um, the power and the energy and the requirements to keep warehouses that are a million square feet in a temperature that humans can work in um, is going to be interesting. It'll be a big power draw. It's not a huge point that needs to be brought up, but I think it is important to be identified. So I don't know, man, what's your take? What have you heard about things moving into Phoenix and just saying, you know, we're done with LA? Doug, I feel like you, if this was volleyball, you like, you set the ball for me to just spike. Oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know in a good way. So DSV is building, uh, I just looked it up, a 1.7 million square foot building in Mesa, Arizona, next to, we were building it now, next to the airport where we have a financial interest in the Mesa airport. We mm -hmm. have our own charter flights that go out of Mesa uh, from all over the world. And we specifically went there to deal with all the congestion issues of LA. So all these EV companies, automotive, aerospace, you know, that's a huge industry in Arizona itself. Mm -hmm. But by going over LA, you know, we can deal with Reno and all these other places and it takes us out of that congestion pool. It gives us more control. We have, we have, you know, we have the resources to do that kind of thing, but we're not the only company that sees, sees the, the ability, as you said, get to Dallas pretty quickly, be able to go, to the central part of the country pretty quickly. One of the things I don't know enough about, and we should probably look into this, is the rail out of Phoenix. I would imagine it's pretty good. But, um, you know, how does the ocean stuff get there? How do you do outbound exports ocean out of Phoenix? Maybe that's a place where more infrastructure is going to be needed. But, Doug, you, you hit the nail right on the head. This is a, this is a part of the world with dirt. And where you've got dirt that you can buy, People are going to set stuff up there. And when you have a lot of dirt and it's not very expensive, it makes a lot of sense of a distribution out there if, if it's a good connection hub. And Phoenix is a good connection hub for that part of the world. So mm -hmm. I 100% agree with you, Doug. 
I think everyone's going to follow that part of the area. I think another surprising one is um, the Carolinas. You know, I spent time in South Carolina last week, but mm-hmm. so many automotive manufacturers are in that part of the world in South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, because they can buy land and set up a physical presence. So, uh, Doug, no, you're 100% right. 100% right. Phoenix is an important part of the future of international logistics for this country. Yeah, agreed. Okay, well, that takes my DSV flag while I I say that. Exactly. You you gotta put one. Hey, I got Troy right here, right? You gotta put your DSV (laughs) thing off the window. Oh, yeah, man. I will. Yeah, yeah, cool. So, this is uh, halftime. We've got two two topics down. We're gonna have our two topics here in a second, but this is the part of the show that uh, we like to just talk about random stuff. And um, it's brought to you by Cap Logistics. Keenan uh, pushes the button and I always say this wrong. P- turns button, turns. Pushes the buttons and turns the dials. There, there you go. Turns the dials and flips the levers. Anyway, Cap Logistics, thanks for making this happen. Um, halftime. Pete, you go first, man. So I think I've talked about Neuralink before. I don't remember. I think I have. But the, mm-hmm. the concept of Elon Musk's newer business is that there can be a, a symbiotic relationship between man and computer. And they're, they have, they started with pigs where they put this chip in a pig's brain and what they were able to gather from that. Things like um, its ability to control the rest of its body and the ability for the brain without physical assistance to interact with a computer. So a couple of weeks ago, they did their first human implant of Neuralink. And the patient is almost fully recovered at this point. But what's fascinating is the report came out yesterday that this person who has the Neuralink implant, who's a paraplegic, by the way, from what I understand, or quadriplegic, is able now to to activate and use a mouse just by thinking. So this person who, who um, you know, beforehand was unable to communicate from, again, from what I understand, is able to use a mouse on a computer screen and manipulate Windows and all the rest of it just by thinking. So terrifying <laughs> one side of it, right? Like, like we are, we are bridging, we're going over that bridge now to combined human and computers. Also incredible to think that people who are unable to use prosthetics, unable to control their body may be able to now based on this computer link. I have no idea what it looks like. I have no idea how cumbersome it is, but it's 2024. Imagine what this is going to look like by 2026. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All those things. Check the box. What's the guy's name or the gal's name? Where's the proof? Where's the, it's just, it's a little ambiguous, right? Elon Musk loves to talk about his um, endeavors, adventures, and personal life on X. And other than a, Hey, we did this. That's all we got. So, um, I, there's something there, Pete. I think that um, uh, Neuralink is is in the right direction for sure. But I, I just prove it, prove it, show us a little bit more. So hopefully that'll come to fruition. They're getting everything set up. But what you spoke about is is absolutely 100% amazing technology. That if this is uh, really taking us to the next level, just show me, yeah, show I, me more info on it. I, I would. Lo- I, I'm looking now. I don't see the name of the person. Um, Why well, look at this? But I'm sure that will eventually come out. They're probably for HIPAA reasons and all the rest of it. They're keeping it quiet. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. People thought he wasn't making spaceships either. 
<laughs> True. I'm, Valid. I'm fired. Valid. I'm fired up for this. So what you got, Doug? Nice. All right, mine's a little bit more lighthearted, right? We, um, I mentioned this um, before the show, and you guys hadn't heard of it, and it's um, here in Colorado. So there's two teenagers, both from a high school here in Denver, Colorado, or the metro area, called Thunder Ridge High School, and they just signed letters of intent to play cornhole for Winthorpe University. Um, like, literally, they're getting scholarships to um, go play cornhole. Apparently, these these two kids were like two-time All-American League, yada, yada, yada. And, um, and Winthorpe is giving them a scholarship, which just seems crazy, right? And I was like, where's Winthorpe in South Carolina? Yes, that makes sense. Yes, that is that is awesome. So these two kids, good for you. Absolutely good for you. Um, they're not taking advantage of this situation. They're leaning into uh, an opportunity to advance their their uh, education. But, wow, this is crazy. Cornhole Scholarship in Winthorpe. They're, they're, anyway, uh, it's not Neuralink, but it'll be interesting to see where this thing goes. And the NIL, name, image, likeness uh, opportunities with these guys. Yeah. And I, it, it's just going to be off the chart. I mean, this thing could just catapult these guys um, to the next level with their careers and, and their opportunities. So kudos to these guys. I'm not going to, I mean, you can pull up their names uh, when you, when you Google this story, but you know, good on you. That is awesome. Yeah. Go have fun at Winthorpe. And they still got about three years to learn how to chug beer and play yeah. cornhole, but I'm sure there's some classes and some friends in the, uh, at the university that will quickly show them how to do that. Is this town close to the beach, Doug? I, I don't know. I don't know where Winthorpe is. I mean, think about it, right? I, I was thinking how awesome it is. You're going to school, someone's paying for it, and maybe you're at a, a college, you know, coastal Carolina somewhere, and yeah. you're just you're playing cornhole to go to school. You know, and, I mean, think about a better existence when you're a teenager, and then you brought up the NIL stuff. Oh, dude. And they're going to get paid. Like, this is the bag I use. If you want to be a, a collegiate <laughs> cornholer, this is the right bag for you. Like yeah. just the marketing opportunities. This guy's going to be swimming in cash, living in South Carolina, not paying for school. It's going to be an awesome existence. I mean, I played college sports and I can tell you, the only thing I got out of it was bad knees. So in like eight concussions. So this is awesome that yeah. these guys have found a way to do this together. What a badass story, Doug. God bless yeah. these kids. Yeah. I love it. You know, and I got to give kudos to Winthorpe for even thinking of this, right? You know, giving these guys an opportunity. So yeah. Hell yeah, man. All right. Well, that was halftime brought to you by Cap Logistics. We appreciate their support as always uh, to bring the show to the masses out there. But let's flip back again. We got collared shirts on, so we got to stay uh, on point on topic. So what's your number two, Pete? Yeah, number two is a very touchy subject. The, the President Trump is running on a platform where he has said over and over again, if China's not going to find a way to work with us, I'm going to hit him with a 60 percent tariff. And then you have both sides of the aisle right now in Congress who are talking about hitting China in a place where it's really going to hurt, and that's taking them out of the de minimis rule. So right now, as an individual, Doug or Pete or Keenan, we can import up to $800 a day of goods and not pay tariffs on it. And this rule has been used by e-commerce to directly ship from the point of origin in China to the U.S., like, you know, Timu and Shen, and we've talked about all these companies. So a lot of stuff that we don't want to come into the country is being caught under the de minimis program, drugs, 
uh, certainly drugs, counterfeit goods, you, know, you name it. So these members of Congress are saying, we're going to take Chinese origin goods out of de minimis. No more. Or lower the de minimis amount for Chinese goods to like, I don't know, $35. They would never eliminate them completely because de minimis is real intent. Why we use it a lot of the time, it's for samples, scientific research. So there would still be something there. But to take China out of that de minimis number is, I mean, it's nuts. It would be for the origin of the goods, not necessarily. So even if you set up a, a bonded warehouse in Mexico and Canada and you're going to fulfill that way, it would still hit product. So you wouldn't be able to get that lower duty amount. Is it possible? Absolutely. Is there a road for us to legally do it? Absolutely. I think it would be a massive blow to e-commerce, Doug, if they were to do this. And um, I think there's smarter ways to manage it. As an example, bringing stuff into foreign trade zones or bonded warehouses and giving customs the ability to more effectively and efficiently uh, review things before they're imported into the U.S. I think that'd be an excellent way to do it. And then have the people who run those warehouses pay the overtime to have someone from customs there you know, on an eight-hour shift to review it. Mm -hmm. But I think this would be a, a real tragic blow to e-commerce if this were to go through them. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I like the idea of somehow slowing the process down, right, with, with Shannon and, and Timu. The whole idea is speed. And if it's yes. zipping to the customer so quickly through, um, you know, the process, it's, it's like dodging bullets and trying to catch this stuff, right? So I think you nailed it. it there's really some control is slow it down, stop it upon receipt, and do some level of inspection, right? I think that's going to probably uh, help out. But the, the other piece of it, you know, like the U.S., I, I don't know. I mean, yes, you can't just ship it to Mexico and then bring it into Mexico. But if you provide some level of value, and you, and you know this better than I do, but you change the, the product enough that it could go into a different tariff, then it's considered manipulation in that country or, 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 or adding value in that country. So then, then it can import. So uh, you're just throwing more labor at the product, which may not work, but you know, it's like all these different supply chains that we're trying to partner with these countries, but these Chinese companies are building those supply chains, right? So, yeah. all right, well, the, the, the factory in India is really owned by China. The new factory in Mexico is really owned by China or a Chinese entity. So um, I like the fact that it's being identified and addressed. I don't know exactly what the best way is to, to manage it, but I think what you said about stopping it once it gets here to really have a, a, a viable inspection is probably the easiest and quickest way to manage. We'll see if anyone's listening, Doug. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So good, good. Um, well, hey, so this one, my final topic, and um, it, it, the um, the genesis was yesterday when I was at the uh, uh, the conference down in Nashville, and um, they talked about um, the balance between interest rates and inventory. And, and, and the balance and, and, and uh, how that's impacting manufacturing, right? So I'll dive in that here in a second. But ultimately, we, the logistics and transportation industry specifically, are going to be the beneficiaries, right? So just like whenever you're winning, a sports team is winning, it kind of covers up all the problems of the team, right? And, um, but when they're losing all of the issues related to the, the, the pieces of the pie, uh, come to the surface, right? And so my whole point there is that for a while, you can solve a lot of problems with, with a ton of inventory, 
right? We got consumers buying all this stuff all over the place during COVID, buy, 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 buy. Our supply chain may not be super efficient, but let's just put a whole lot of inventory and that way we can service the ultimate customer. Well, with interest rates, well, well now that we've flushed out that inventory, right? That's what's transpired a lot in 2023. The inventory levels aren't where they used to be. And now the cost of money is extremely expensive with the interest rates going up. So the just in time of, hey, I don't have enough cash to go out and put my, you know, borrow money to put uh, and tie it up in inventory that's moving slowly or I can't get access to to sell. Let's flip back to just in time. Well, it's not as easy um, as the old school just in time. And so there's this balance between interest rates and managing your money and inventory balances to get product to your consumer. And in my opinion, Pete, money will always trump the inventory level. So until the interest rates pull down, people are going to try and companies are going to try to focus on the, 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 the pulling of that, which is let's do just in time, less inventory, better from my pocketbook and my balance uh, sheet. So what does that mean? means, oh my gosh, there's a delay. I need to get this to wherever it needs to get faster than I had initially anticipated because I don't have a lot of product here in the market. And so that means transportation companies are going to be the beneficiary because there's going to be a lot more transit uh, transactions and movements of that freight because it's going to lean more towards a just-in-time uh, type, type of balance. And so, um, yeah, I think that so my whole point is interest rates are going to trump inventory levels. And a high interest rate is going to benefit transportation because it's going to be more of a just-in-time uh, type of scenario. So I think it's another indirect uh, a, a statement or, or, or uh, identification that transportation is on its way back up and it's going to be a, a very positive and productive 2024 for our industry. I'm Pete Mento and I approve this message. Uh, you are... <laughs> That's a lot of information I just threw yeah. out there. So. Yeah, no, Doug, you're, you're completely right. So I had, you know how you meet these supply chain consultants that have like PhDs in engineering, you know? So I've, I've been around a lot of them. And, and one of the lessons that they've taught me is that supply chains are really uh, a never-ending battle between your cash cycle and your inventory cycle. It's, it's, what, it, what, it's what it comes down to. And as you said, the cash cycle is what you're pushing it through. You're, you're dealing with your inventory so that you always have enough cash on hand. Uh, and it's it's a beautiful, masterful ballet when it's done right. And there, our industry is is just replete with companies that have been fabulous at it. Dell, right? Um, remember oh, the yeah. Gateway Computer? Oh, these yeah. were companies, yeah. yeah. These were companies that were they were managing how much cash can we have and, and have a sale, quickly get it to the customer, but not keep too much inventory on hand. There were things like vendor managed inventory, you know, that was very big in the 90s. And everybody was sort of, uh, this isn't a bad idea. As companies got more money, they wanted to invest it in other things. They had to get leaner and leaner in these supply chains. So we went from this just in time inventory to sort of like a, you know, not even just in time, on time inventory. It's going to get there when it needs to get there, not a moment before. How can we lean out the process? The issue that you always have with this is we work in an industry where things come out of nowhere all the time. And it's, it's, if I had a crystal ball, right, we, I wouldn't be working anymore. I'd be retired by now. And so many outside forces attack the best laid intentions. And like Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. COVID, the Red Sea, 
um, a volcano in Iceland, who knows what it is, but that's what really mucks up these just-in-time inventory models. So I 100% agree with you that we're going to see more people try to lean out the supply chain to increase cash reserves. What they need to do is be mindful of the fact that this is not a perfect system. So don't create a process and try to hone your entire supply chain cycle based on a best case scenario. You gotta put some worst cases in there too. Or when this thing happens again and something will happen again, it could it could devastate a company. So there needs to be a little bit of managed expectations and also being realistic about the history of our business at the same time. And I generally find that these supply chain propeller heads that do this stuff have not worked in our business. They yeah. have not worked in our business and they don't fully understand that things go miserably wrong all the time in what we do. So you need to pack some of that into your analysis. Yeah. But great topic, Doug. I, yeah, love I it. can't believe that you're the one that brought up logistics finance and not me. Yes. So, See, well, uh, thanks to the thanks to uh, Sakma ye yesterday. Um, it was uh, um, a speaker that popped the topic into my mind. So thank you. I'm glad you approved yeah. this message. A hundred percent. Well, that's going to do it for us this week at Global Trade this week. Uh, big shout out to Keenan back in the booth and to our great friends at Cap Logistics for always supporting us and this crazy endeavor. What are we, like 138 episodes now, Doug? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe we'll have the folks from Cap on for 200 to talk to them. That'd be kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, amazing uh, show as always. Thanks to everyone for your support. Tell your friends, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the video. And if it's happening in trade, we'll talk about it on Global Trade this week. Global Trade, I almost said it wrong, but if it's happening in Global Trade, we'll talk about it next week. Global trade yes. this week. Good, good. All right. See you, Thanks. Folks. See you, Pete. Bye -bye. Take care.